Revelation chapter 16, verse, verses 1 through 7 is our text. and going to be our text for this evening. Revelation 16, verses 1 through 7. I was uh, listening to a uh, program on, on the internet that some, that's on some Christian stations around the nation. It's uh, uh, from Lamb and Lion Ministries. It's, uh, it's called Christ and Prophecy. Anyway, David Reagan, who was one of the hosts, was, uh, was uh, interviewing a, a man who uh, actually is a movie director, and he just finished doing a movie. It's been out maybe this last month, back in, in January. But uh, it's a movie on the rapture. It's called Final, the Rapture. And anyway, I, I was just listening to, you know, the conversation, to the, uh, uh, to the interview. And, and, uh, but they were bringing up some very interesting um, uh, statistics about our young people today and how uh, actually fewer than, than, than 10% of, of our young people, even in churches, have any clue or idea about end time prophecy and and things like the rapture and stuff and and that kind of saddens me because I know that that here we 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 teach you know from Genesis to revelation and and because we believe truly that the things that we see in scripture that are prophetic and are happening are happening because God said they would happen and uh, if that's the case, then everything that is prophetic is going to happen. And we're already seeing the signs of the times and the times of the signs, and we're living in those times now. And the apostles, especially Paul, would, would warn us, you know, that, that we needed to be aware of what was going on. Peter mentions these warnings as well. And really all the apostles, John and, and James and, and, uh, and Jude. But, um, but it, just, it just gave me a, a, a realization that... These things aren't being taken seriously by people. What we're studying tonight, I know, is serious to you. But it's not so serious to a lot of people even in the church. And, and, and that burdens me. Because we know that the scriptures tell us that what God has prophesied is going to come to pass. And I say that with, with a tremendous amount of burden because... The scriptures that we're beginning tonight, for especially this chapter, are dealing with the final judgments that are coming upon the earth before Christ returns. And, and, and they're going to come rapid fire. These seven bold judgments are going to come rapid fire upon the earth toward the end of the tribulation period. And they are ominous. In a word, the judgments of God. So as they begin now to go forth, as we begin reading in verse 1, it says, Then I, I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go and pour out the bowls of the wrath of God on the earth. Go and pour out the bowls of the wrath of God on the earth. That, that is a command to the seven angels to pour out the judgments upon the earth. And there are many portions of the Word of God that are taught and preached with great delight. I love to preach the Word of God when it comes to the grace of God and the mercies of God and the love of God and the blessings of God to His people. 
I love to preach and teach those things that encourage our hearts to go out and tell people about Jesus and see their lives changed. So I love to teach and preach the Word of God with great delight because there are many portions of Scripture like that. But this isn't one of them. Just reading a passage of this nature can certainly cause anyone to shudder with horror. But there is comfort and there is consolation for the believer in Jesus Christ amidst the pain of these coming judgments. And that is that we do not expect to be on the earth when these judgments are poured out. But the question remains, why are these judgments so severe? Well, sadly, there has to come a time when judgment can no longer be delayed. But why are they so severe? Consider, if you will, the fact that the first commandment of the Lord God that was given to Moses for the children of Israel contained a very clear word. And I want you to listen. Exodus 20, verse 3. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. The second commandment is a comprehensive and complete warning against the fashioning of any image and the bowing down to any image upon which there would be the pain of a divine visitation and judgment. We read on in Exodus 20, verse 4, Thou shalt not make unto thee any any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is on the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. By the way, I, I one time heard uh, uh, Oprah Winfrey say that she, uh, she couldn't accept a, a God who says, I'm a jealous God. Well, then she can't call herself a Christian. You, you understand that? She, because she doesn't understand what that means. But nonetheless, this is the way people are today. They want God on their own terms. And this is a commandment. This is one of the Ten Commandments given. I, the Lord God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. That's the key, you see. That's the key. Now, the vision that John saw in Revelation would be that visitation of judgment. That visitation of judgment. I want you to take note that Satan's desire for worship has been satisfied in men worshiping the image of the beast. What we studied in previous chapters. And never forget these passages that we have touched upon in our study of the book of Revelation as well. Isaiah 14, verses 12 through 14. How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. The five I wills of Satan. 
We read in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 4, verses 8 through 10, in the temptations of Jesus. It says, again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and, and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and Him only shall you serve. And Him only. The Lord will never allow His glory to be given to another. And when men turn from God completely, giving themselves to the worship of the devil... And I'm not talking about worship of the devil like worshiping some guy in a red suit with horns and a big long tail and, and, and a pitchfork in his hand. Do you, you understand what I'm saying? Because the, the, the devil takes a lot of forms. As a matter of fact, even in, 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 the, in the scriptures we're told that the, that the devil is an angel, uh, appears as an angel of light. His whole purpose is to deceive. It's what he's all about. So when men turn from God completely and give themselves to the worship of the devil, then God steps in to vindicate and assert his sovereignty, his righteousness, and his holiness. And so the pouring out of the seven bowls of wrath is that vindication. Now, you have to admit and agree with me that God has been very patient, hasn't He? God has been very patient. As a matter of fact, some of you should be giving, giving thanks right now for the patience that He showed in your life because at one time you may have been worshiping the devil in some form or another. Any worship of anything outside of the worship of Almighty God in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the power of His Holy Spirit is worshiping the enemy. And now will come the vindication. Verse 1 again says, I heard a loud voice. The word loud there, I think in the King James, is also the word great. And this is an important word for us, so you might underline that word loud and great. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go and pour out the bowls of the wrath of God on the earth. And so the hour of judgment can no longer be delayed. From, from the smoke-filled temple, there comes this loud or great voice. And, and the word in the Greek for loud or great is the word megas, M-E-G-A-S, megas. You've heard of a mega church? You know, big, huge churches or mega churches. That's what that word means, you know, to loud or great or big or awesome in some sense. And not just applied to mega churches, you know, mega superstores, you know. So you know what mega is, right? A megalomaniac, stuff like that. Okay, got the idea. So from the smoke-filled temple, there comes this loud or great voice commanding the seven angels to proceed with the implementation and performance of judgment. In other words, the execution of this judgment now goes forth. The command has been given. 
And you better believe that these angels are going to obey that command. It is important to note that the adjective great or loud appears not less than 11 times in this one chapter. 11 times. It's a very important word. So as you read through the chapter, mark those words, great or loud. Mostly in the King James, it's great. And a couple of times in the New King James, it's loud. Like in the voice here and then later on, one other time. The rest of the time, the word great is mentioned. But think about it for a moment. Think about it for a moment. The world, excuse me, the world certainly employs the extravagant use of adjectives to sell its merchandise, doesn't it? Uses adjectives. Cigarettes, beer, cosmetics, sporting events, movies, TV productions are billed as, here I go, fabulous, amazing, colossal, unbelievable, stupendous, sensational, incredible, gigantic, super, spectacular, and great. But man will have produced nothing to compare with the greatness of the coming judgments upon the earth. They will be, in a word, ominous. I've already used the word tonight. They will be ominous. What does that mean? They will be threatening. They will be gloomy. They will be worrying. They will be menacing. And they will be unpromising. That's what these kind of judgments, or that's what these judgments are going to be like. And let's keep in mind that these judgments are future and they are literal. They are future and they are literal. The bold judgments were not fulfilled in the French Revolution. They were not fulfilled in the oppression of Napoleon. They were not fulfilled in the Popish Inquisition of the Middle Ages. They were not fulfilled in the slaughter of Stalin. They were not fulfilled in the machinations and the conspiracies of Hitler and his slaughter of six million Jews. They were not fulfilled in the killing fields of the Khmer Rouge in in Cambodia or even the terrorist attacks on 9-11. These events in history and many others like them serve only as mere rehearsals for the great and the final drama of the last judgment on earth. And so now the angels go forth. Verse 2. And so the first went and poured out his bowl upon the earth. And a foul and loathsome sore. And I believe in the King James it's the noisome and Grievous sore came upon the men who had the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. (sighs) Gee, I, I know I'm dating myself now a little bit. But 22 years ago, when I last taught an in depth study in the book of Revelation, uh, not, not too many of you were here 22 years ago when I taught that study. But back then I, I made a comment that, that really struck me in regards to the lax attitudes of some believers today about biblical prophecy. I felt this way back then, 22 years ago, even more now. And this is what I said. What does it do to us as Christians, when we read such an awesome passage of Scripture 
and realize that the flood of judgment can come at any moment, the rapture of the church notwithstanding, can we force ourselves to relax, supposing that we live in a time of peace and safety, only to be reminded that sudden destruction will come? The seriousness of the times and the passages that we are studying demand that we take a hard look at the day that we're in and the days ahead in a sober manner. That was 22 years ago. Have things gotten better or have they gotten worse? They've gotten worse. And if worse, what does it say about those in the church that are still scoffing and mocking those who believe that the Lord Jesus can come at any moment and begin the countdown of the tribulation period. I mean, this is how the church is still being exhorted today. Here's the exhortations, folks. They haven't changed in 22 years. They haven't changed in 2,000 years. The exhortations, like Peter's exhortation, but the end of all things is at hand. He said that about 2,000 years ago. You think it's closer now than then? So he says, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. Be serious, be sober, be watchful, be diligent and vigilant in your prayers. Paul in speaking, and by the way, he goes on to talk about the love of Christ that we're to have in our hearts and lives there. But Paul, in speaking to the Romans concerning love as the fulfillment of the law, and I find it really interesting that both Paul and Peter were talking about love here as well. In other words, how we are to maintain the love of Christ in our lives in the end times. Right? In other words, don't go out there and, 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 and uh, hoard up, uh, you know, dig yourself a hole a hundred feet down in the ground and you know, hoard up for yourselves with guns and food and all kinds of stuff. No, no, no. Where's the love of Christ? Don't we trust the Lord? Don't we trust that He said, Let not your heart be troubled. If you believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it weren't so, I would have told you. I come, I go to prepare a place for you and I'm going to come again for you. So where's this idea that we got to hoard, you know, all this food and all these guns, you know, like, well, who are we going to fight? The devil with the guns? No, probably people. Right now, I think we, that's best left for military use when they have to do what they do to protect this country. The point is that in speaking to the Romans concerning love as a fulfillment of the law, Paul concludes his statement to them this way in Romans 13, and you've seen it before, not long ago I even quoted from this. Do this, he said, knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. That's, that's even better, I mean, that's even more appropriate for us now than, than what Paul was saying then to the church of Rome. And he says, the night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light and let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy. I I hate to say it, but that sometimes describes some portions of the church of Jesus Christ today. And you might be thinking, are you really sure? Yes. I'm, so, I'm sad 
I'm saddened to say that. When you put your Bible aside to talk about other religions and, you know, hand in hand about this and the social gospel and all of that, without remembering that the Lord said that we need to be light in a dark place and the thing that gives us light is the light of the Word of God, then we're in trouble. Let's walk properly. By the way, when I was talking about that TV show I was watching, they also said that statistically it's about 10% in our country of true believers in Jesus Christ. If you're a true believer, you're you're a part of the 10%. That's not a lot. I mean, there's a lot of churches out there that are just churches, but they they don't trust the Word of God. All right. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. That was, that's what we're supposed to do. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. In the book of James, chapter 5, verses 8 and 9, it says, You also be patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Hey, are you establishing your heart every day? Because you know that the day of the coming of the Lord is at hand. It's at hand. If it was at hand 2,000 years ago, it's at hand now. Verse 9, do not grumble against one another. Do you, do you notice the, this juxtaposition of, hey, the Lord's coming. How about be a Christian? How about be a true believer in Jesus Christ and show the love of Christ in your lives, in the church, as well as outside of the church? Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Hebrews 10, verses 30 and 31. For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. I don't know how many people really consider it a fearful thing. Somehow we, we've, been, we've been softened by, by a... By a uh, kind of a positive message, you know, that goes out there. Oh, you know, just be a nice person and there's nice things and you should be blessed and you should be prosperous and you should be all of these things. Listen, you need to be holy like God is holy because that's what the scriptures teach us. And every day we have to work on it because we're all human. But the thing that helps us to focus is Jesus can come at any moment. Because the judgments that are coming after him are worse and more terrible than anything that we could ever imagine. So with these things in mind, let's proceed into the rest of our text. I need to back up just for a second. We'll go back to verse verse 2 for just a second. Let me read that to you, okay? It says, with, so the first went, the first angel went and poured out his bowl upon the earth, and a foul and loathsome sore came upon the men who had the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. So, in verse 2 we see that the first judgment is directed toward the worshippers of the beast and those who will bear the mark of the beast. The judgment is going to come against those. It is aimed particularly at idolatry. We are presented with a physical malady, possibly in the form of bodily sores 
or boils. If you've ever had a boil, I mean, I guess some people would call it a glorified pimple. <laughs> but, but boils are no fun. I can, I can tell you boils are no fun. They're very painful. So if you can imagine a whole body full of boils, if one boil is painful, what about sores all over a body like that? And I'm just using that one little example because there are other sores that are mentioned. The Lord had warned Israel, by the way, the Lord had warned Israel that such a plague would be impending and forthcoming if they violated the law. This is what He told His own people in Deuteronomy 28 verse 27. He said, The Lord will strike you with the boils of Egypt, with tumors, with scab, with the itch from which you cannot be healed. Those of you who suffer, you know, those kind of maladies, you know, eczema, psoriasis, stuff like that, you know, you have to go to the dermatologist and get all kinds of creams and whatever. Now, sometimes you have to take internally some pills, whatever. I mean, because it's, this is nothing, or that's nothing compared to what that's going to be like. In combination, if he is giving this out as a warning to his own people, what's it going to be like to the people that are worshiping idols and worshiping the beast? You have to magnify now the extent of, 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 the, uh, of the judgment. It says the Lord in verse 35 of the same chapter where he's talking to his own people, the Lord will strike you in the knees and on the legs with severe boils which cannot be healed and from the sole, I'm sorry, from the sole of your foot to the top of your head. So from top to bottom, you're going to be covered with them. I said, not you guys. I, I better not say that. You're not going to be covered by them. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> but, but whoever is going to be covered by them is going to hurt. There's one person in this room who remembers a, a, a boil epidemic we had in, in, when we played football together in high school. That was no fun, man. Everybody had boils and they hurt. And, and man, I tell you what, you just don't want to go through that. You know, locker room stuff, you know, that's uh, things spread, man. Bunch of guys. Uh, horrible. That's nothing. For, I better get off that one real quick. That's nothing compared to what's going to happen when this stuff happens. We've got to get back seriously because it, uh, yeah, it's just painful even to think. Anyway, but here's the thing. Speaking of the, the children of God, the Israelites, the people knew that, uh, that God meant exactly what he said. The people knew that God meant exactly what He said. He plagued them when they worshipped the golden calf that Aaron made. He plagued them. Exodus thirty-two, thirty-five. So the Lord plagued the people because of what they did with the calf which Aaron made. He plagued them. And if we're looking at scriptural consistency, then this is the kind of plague that he gave them. Sores and boils. Tumors. I'll use the King James word, emrods. That's enough said. 
The same kind of judgment came upon Egypt as well as on the sister of Moses, who's Miriam. She had, these, uh, she had a plague as well put on her. And it was an affliction resembling what God had permitted Satan in bringing upon Job. Now here's a righteous man. Job was a righteous man, but we read in Job 2, verses 7 and 8, So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with painful boils from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. And he took for himself a potsherd with, with, which, he, uh, to, uh, with which to scrape himself while he sat in the midst of the ashes. I mean, he was already mourning, and so he's got all these boils, and he's scratching off with a piece of pottery. <sighs> that hurts just to read this thing. So again, exponentially, you have to think that these sores and boils, this plague, is going to be so much greater and so much more painful. So in the last days, many will be seduced into apostasy. It's happening today. It's possible that most of us may know of even one person who started with the Lord and now is so far gone from the Lord. Doesn't even want to be, doesn't even want to be close to them. And they've just gone away from the Lord. They believe other doctrines, other things. And so they've fallen into apostasy, a falling away from the truth. But they must pay for their idolatry. This first plague is described in the King James as a noisome, N-O-I-S-O-M-E, or foul uh, plague, which means, the, the word just means painfully bad. It has nothing to do with noise. <laughs> noisome is, is a foul, uh, painfully bad plague. And again, this, this judgment will fall upon all who have, him, have on them the mark of the beast. It is a joy and comfort to our hearts that by the true Messiah diseases are healed. Would you not agree? The Lord said that He's the healer. I am the God that healeth thee. I am your God, your healer. But under the false Messiah... Such afflictions can neither be prevented nor cured. You won't be able to touch anyone to help them. The false Messiah has, has uh, sold his snake oil and people will find out there's no help in him. And then comes the second bowl to be poured out, verse 3 of our text. Then the second angel poured out his bowl on the sea and it became blood as of a dead man. Notice, it became blood as of, not it became bloody or real blood, but as of a dead man. And every living creature in the sea died. Now, you might recall that at the breaking of the second seal, this goes back to chapter 6, but uh, at the breaking of the second seal, there was much human blood shed upon the earth. Let me, let me bring that to your remembrance. When he opened the second seal, Revelation 6.3, I heard the second living creature say, Come and see. 
And another horse, fiery red, went out, and it was granted to the one who sat on it to take, uh, sat on it to take peace from the earth, and that people should kill one another. And there was given to him a great sword. <clears throat> so there was already this this connection to blood being shed. And at the sounding of the second trumpet in chapter eight, a third part of the sea became blood. We're told. Again, Revelation eight verse eight says, "Then the second angel sounded." And something like a great mountain. Now remember, there are seal judgments, the trumpet judgments, and now the bowl judgments. And they are related, but not necessarily happening at the same time. The second angel sounded, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea. And a third of the sea became blood. But here in our text, when we read verse 3, It says that the second angel poured out his bowl on the sea and it became blood as of a dead man. The sea became his blood and every living creature in the sea died. So here in our text it seems like, it seems that all of the water was affected. And think about that for a moment. The awful stench, which which is as the blood of a dead man, that stench will be worldwide. As all the great bodies of water in the earth coagulate and thicken, Shipping will be affected and all fish will die. Some of us may be familiar with a few dead fish washing up on a beach somewhere and we think that smell is bad. You think a few fish and the way it smells is, is pretty rotten. And nothing is more rotten than everything dying. Uh, I, don't, I don't think I could even imagine what the stench of millions of decaying sea creatures would smell like, nor do I want to imagine that at all. But all of that death will be a blow to the fishing and shipping industries, of course. But as the plague on Egyptian waters, when God turned that water into blood back in Exodus, that was actually literal blood. And even so will the plague be in the latter days preceding the return of the Lord Jesus Christ to the earth. Think about this, Exodus 7, 18. The fish that are in the river shall die, the river shall stink, and the Egyptians will loathe to drink the water of the river. That's the only smart thing that they do, is not drink the water. They can't drink the water. And what 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 do men need for survival? water and when the psalmist recounts the story of Exodus Psalm 105 verse 29 it says he turned their waters into blood and killed their fish not only did he kill the water which they needed for their own bodies but they even killed a a food source or the Lord killed a food source for the Egyptians because Pharaoh stood up against the God of, of, uh, of Moses. And now we will see that the blood-like judgment will also extend to freshwater rivers and lakes as well as the springs which feed them. Let's, let's go on to the next uh, passage uh, in, uh, in chapter 16. Because now the third angel poured out his bowl. Do you notice now rapidly what's happening? We're already to the third, we're already to the third judgment. We went to two sets of judgments. It took us 16 chapter, 15 chapters to go through that. 
Actually, about 11, but, but nonetheless. Here we are in the same chapter, and already we're on the third judgment. Rapid fire judgment. The third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and springs of water, and they became blood. And I heard the angel of the water saying, You are righteous, O Lord. Now, listen to this. The angel is saying, You are righteous, O Lord, the one who is and who was and who is to be, because you have judged these things. For they have shed the blood of the saints and prophets. Do you remember the cries for God to, to, uh, uh, to bring vengeance? The cries of the tribulation saints that are saying, Lord, avenge our death, avenge our bloodshed. Here it is. For they have shed the blood of the saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. For it is their just due. You want blood? You shed the blood of my people? You want blood? Here it is. You've got blood. It's your just due. Or your just desserts. Revelation 16.7 says... And I heard another from the altar saying, Even so, the Lord God Almighty, or even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. Why? Why this statement? The angel vindicates God's judgment as just. We saw with the third trumpet... Now remember, this is the third bowl. So we saw with the third trumpet judgment that the fresh water supply was affected by a star called Wormwood. It caused one-third of the fresh water supply to become bitter and polluted, and we are told that the many that drank from these waters died. Now once again, we see the fresh water supply affected by the third bowl judgment, but the difference is that now the entire fresh water supply will be affected. The entire fresh water supply of the earth. Thus, without water to drink, there is no hope for man. He cannot live very long without it. Now, some would argue that God is not being fair. And that His judgment is not right. But that would be contrary to Scripture. You see, there is not only one angel proclaiming that God's judgments are fair and righteous, but there are two angels proclaiming this message. One is found in verse 5 and 6, and the other is in verse 7. Why two angels? Because the Scriptures tell us that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, the matter is established. Deuteronomy 19 verse 15 the last part of the verse says by the mouth of two or more by the mouth of two or three witnesses the matter shall be established one witness shall not rise against a man concerning any iniquity or any sin that he commits has to be two or more two or three witnesses so let's remember things let's remember some things that, as we close out our study here in just a little bit let's remember this we do not have perfect knowledge, do we? We do not have perfect knowledge. 
I, I can tell you this. When I mentioned that I, I taught a, a, a more, uh, an in-depth study of, of this 22 years ago, man, I know a lot more now than I did, but I still don't know everything. A lot of things have happened in 22 years that have not only enhanced this study that you're having tonight on the book of Revelation and, and what we've had over these last however many months or years, <laughs> how long we've been in Revelation, but... We still don't know it all. There's still some, some things that we're going to learn as, as, as things start, uh, you know, continue to, you know, to show themselves out in, in prophetic form. The other thing that we need to remember is that we are not perfect in righteousness still. We're being perfected day by day, and we should be being perfected day by day, but we're not perfect in righteousness. But our God is both omniscient and righteous. Our God is all-knowing and our God is all-righteous. As the judge of all the earth, He is going to do right. He will always do right. For He knows the beginning from the end, the end from the beginning. Even in Genesis 18, verse 25, it says, Far be it from you to do such a thing. Now this, of course, was... When, when Abraham is, is somewhat dealing with God about his judgment that he's going to bring upon Sodom and Gomorrah. Lord, would, would, you, would you save the whole town for just 50 people? 40 people? 30 people? 20, 10, 5, touchdown. Would you save them for even 10 And he says to the Lord, far be it from you to do such a thing as this, to slay the righteous with the wicked, because he's concerned about Lot and his family. He's concerned about his own nephew, but he says, uh, you know, to slay the righteous with the wicked so that the righteous should be as the wicked, far be it from you, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Did he not do right with Sodom and Gomorrah? He certainly did. I don't care what anybody says today. God did what was right, because he's God. And we're not. We know something about our God that a lot of people don't know. And that is our God is a God of mercy. And He's a God of grace. And He's a God of love. He's a God of forgiveness. We wouldn't be sitting here if God wasn't a God of forgiveness. We wouldn't have rejoiced as we did earlier if God wasn't a God of forgiveness to forgive us of our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Our God is a God who will do right always without any question and without any help. The deadliness and the destruction upon the earth will not meet with objection in eternity. Both in heaven and hell, men will acknowledge the righteousness of the eternal God who had so judged. See, hell is not going to be a place like some people talk about, you know, eh, I don't care, I'll end up with my friends in hell, we'll have parties, all kinds. No, you're not going to have parties in hell. 
what you will be doing is bowing your knee to the God who judged you righteously, but who had also given you the opportunity to live for him, to turn to him, to accept his truth, and to receive it, Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And you will be acknowledging, not you, you hear, I hope not. Because you'll be acknowledging that in heaven. You'll be acknowledging his righteousness in heaven. But those who will go to hell will also acknowledge the same truth. The name that is above all names. It says that the name of Jesus Christ, every knee shall bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. And every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The justice of this judgment lies in the fact that the wicked are being judged on the basis of their judgment upon innocent victims. Now we're talking about the tribulation period. They shed the blood of saints and prophets. Now they must reap that which they have sown. The angel's voice and the voice of the temple are both right. In eternity, that is, in the life to come, the righteous judgments of God will never be brought into question. They are being questioned day by day by day on this earth. In the media, on the internet, and blogs, and all kinds of other weird ways. God is being questioned. God is being attacked. But that's okay, you see. Our God can defend himself because God is righteous. God is omniscient. God is holy. God is omnipresent. God is omnipotent. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. And he's righteous in all his ways. Deuteronomy 32, verses 40 to 43, it says, For I raise my hand to heaven and say, As I live forever, if I wet my glittering sword and my hand takes hold on judgment, I will render vengeance to my enemies and repay those who hate me. I will make my arrows drunk with blood and my sword shall devour flesh with the blood of the slain and the captives from the heads of the leaders of the enemy. Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people, for he will avenge the blood of his servants and render vengeance to his adversaries. He will provide atonement for his land and his people. But God has been patient. And God has been long-suffering. God has not only waited for us to come to him. God is waiting for us to get serious about these last days. He's waiting for us to get serious with Him. He's waiting for us to give our lives fully and completely and totally to the Lord. Let let me just put it this way. The Lord's not wanting us to be church-goers. A lot of people consider themselves a church goer. I'm a church goer. I go to church. No, 
He doesn't want us to be churchgoers. He wants us to go from this church out into the world and be the representatives of Jesus Christ. Every day. 24-7. And the only way we can be that is to grow daily because we take time to be in God's presence, in the presence of the Lord, to be in prayer, to be in, 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 in devotion, to be in His Word, to be setting things aside where God is the most important person in your life, where Jesus Christ is the most important name in your life, and where the Holy Spirit is the most important source of your life. That is what God wants us to be not churchgoers. So you might think, don't say that, Charlie, because then nobody will come to church. No, no, no. You know what? If you love Jesus, you're going to come because you want to be here. You're not going to say, oh, I have to go to church. You're going to say, I get to go to church. I get to go and worship the Lord. And we in this country, we should be thankful to the Lord that we still have the freedom to come each and every week to this church and praise the Lord the way we should. Because there may be a time when, like in other uh, parts of the world, where our brothers in Christ are suffering because of their Christianity, they have to meet underground, but they still meet. They don't have cars, but they get there to their meetings. Some of them don't even have Bibles. I'm, I'm trying to... Old, old-timers disease here going... Uh, but somebody, uh, somebody is uh, texting me a. Oh, okay, I know who it is. I was going to get a video. I, w- I want to show, hopefully, maybe on Sunday, if I remember, to get it up and, and, and put it up. But um, it's a video of Christians in China suffering persecution in China that are getting their first Bible or, getting a, or being handed a Bible. You cannot... I mean, we have Bibles upon Bibles and sometimes we don't even open them up. Over there, they just, they would hold it, they would cry. It, it, it's, it's, it's an amazing, um, it's an amazing thing. I, I got to see it firsthand, actually, live in 1989. We took Bibles to the, to the Christians in communist China. We've got to get serious, folks, about our love for Jesus, our service for Jesus, and about the days in which we live. You notice that we're not, t- t- you know, we're not trying to tell you these things so that, oh, like, it's not about fear. It's not about fear. It's about faith. And it's about faithfulness. God has been faithful to us. Let's be faithful to God. Let's be faithful to Jesus who died for our sins and who set us free from the bondage of sin and death so that we might serve Him until that day when He says, and I will come again and gather you to Myself so that where I am, 
there you may be also. Because after that, then all of this is going to eventually take place. So let's get caught up with Jesus. Amen? All right, let's pray.